as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Davis. We have posted on KURV.com that. This is the most active, what do you call it, ugly weather? No, severe weather, ugly weather, <laughs> severe weather um, since 2012. So for the last 10 years, uh, I don't know how Joe, Joe Salinas knows that, but he, n- nobody's bothered to call us and tell us, no, you're wrong. But one guy who might be able to is the public face of the National Weather Service, Barry Goldsmith. He's a, he's a forecaster. He's a meteorologist, and he is the, forgive me, Barry, you're the interface between us and the world and the people at the National Weather Service. How are you? Oh, doing well today, Davis. And, uh, gee, I thought we were going to talk about the hurricane season, but that too. it seems like the local weather is kind of taking precedence on Yeah, that. what the <laughs> devil? Well, is this, I'm going to tell you what I bet you a lot of people are thinking, uh-oh, this means we're going to have an active hurricane season and we're going to get hit. No, it doesn't mean that. But. Totally unrelated. So we'll, we'll leave that uh, sitting there. Okay. Um, but to, to go back to your intro, um, yes, this is the busiest season or window of wind, hail, rain, lightning, tornado even, uh, since 2012. That window in 2012 was roughly around March 29th, the big McCallum hailstorm. To about May 15th, and this year's window is a little bit later, um, April 21st through June 5th, so about the same window of time, six weeks, only uh, fast forwarded about three weeks later, but sure enough, uh, we've been pretty busy out there with all these storms moving through. Well, the, the question, which I'm sure drives guys like you crazy, is well, what's, what's different? What's caused this? Why this year? Why now? So we can go back to the winter in California, of all things. You remember? I blame it on them. That they, they deserve it. Yeah, blame it on California. Um, the atmosphere was playing in a bad sandbox out there with multiple heavy rain, mountain snow. We had landslides. We had floods. Um, kind of replaced the fire weather as the big story out there. And those storm systems came from two places. One from near the Gulf of Alaska diving south in another of what was called an atmospheric river event or sequence of atmospheric river events that include tropical moisture. And both of them would combine in different ways to produce all those events week after week in California. Well, those waves don't just sit there and die in California. They tend to eject out to the east across the southwest U.S., And while they weaken a bit, they do cross into northern Mexico, into the southern plains, including west Texas, and sometimes even south and central Texas. And as we moved from winter and early spring into late spring, 
that energy impulse and those impulses were able to tap into increasingly warm and humid flow of air uh, coming off of the increasingly warm waters of the eastern tropical Pacific all the way over to the southwest Gulf and Bay of Campeche. And when you lift that kind of warm, humid air into the colder atmospheric air, it creates large towering clouds that ultimately can organize into thunderstorms or clusters and they typically will form around the Sierra Madre Oriental, which is anywhere yeah. from west of Zapata County all the way up to the Big Bend there near Amistad. And then they get moved to the east or southeast, and they can come screaming across the Rio Grande Valley. And we saw that on several occasions beginning around April 23rd sure. and continuing all the way through last Saturday night on June 3rd. So um, the pattern just wouldn't quit. Um, it, we thought it might end a little bit in late May, which is typically when it ends, but it continued for about another 10 days there until uh, yesterday. All right, Barry Goldsmith with the National Weather Service office in Brownsville. Not the hurricane season. It's commenced uh, and will go, what, through the end of November? I forget, actually. Um, but um, what's it going to be this year? What do you think? So officially we go till November 30th, but in terms of Texas, we typically end in October. So in a sense, that's sort of good news. But uh, the forecast has come out, and the NOAA forecast is average. Uh, the okay. average number of named storms is 14. The average number of hurricanes is 7. And the average number of majors is 3. And the range that NOAA forecast has 12 to 17 named, which 14 is right in the middle of that. Five to nine hurricanes, which seven mm -hmm. is in the middle of that, and one to four majors, which three is more or less in the middle of that. Um, the probability of being average is around 40%. So there's equal chances at 30% each of being below or above. And the main reason for this whole average type forecast is counterindications. One is developing El Nino, which tends to produce wind shear in the Gulf, Caribbean, and Western Atlantic Ocean by mid to late summer which tends to reduce the potential for hurricane development and growth. But at the same time, we have very, very warm uh, Atlantic Basin waters all the way from the Caribbean Sea to the uh, west coast of Africa, as well as the Gulf of Mexico is pretty darn warm for this time of year and expected to continue so. So when you look at the negative connotation of El Nino with the positive connotation of those warm waters, you kind of get equal, and that's where the average forecast is coming from. They seem to um, form up a lot faster um, than they did 10, 20 years ago. Now, that's, that's an impression. I don't know if it's true or not, but we rock along on Monday, it's okay, and by Friday, it's a threat. Is that normal, or am I just, you know, it's, it's okay to say, no, you're full of baloney. That's not true to me. So there are some indications that there is an increase in rapid intensification of the tropical cyclones that begin to form up, where if everything is in gear to build that car and put rocket fuel in it, making it a, a jet or a rocket and putting the right fuel in it, it can really go to town, or we like to say off to the races. So, um, you know, the main thing is that uh, warm water, the yeah. Gulf and the Caribbean and the Western Atlantic are warming, and the depth of that warm water also matters. So if you're looking at more frequent and widespread areas of, say, 85 to 89 degree surface temperatures in terms of the sea surface, and then the depth of the 80 degree contour going down two, three, four hundred meters in some cases, Jeez. which is, you know, about 1,000 feet, 
um, that can really uh, be incredible fuel for these cyclones if they're organized. And next thing you know, you've gone from a tropical storm to a full-blown Category 4 hurricane. So there is some uh, science behind the increase in rapid and intensive fires, but on the good side of that, we have better modeling now that can actually predict when these storms will rapidly intensify, which really helps us with quick preparedness of any region that could be impacted. Yeah, the the uh, predict, predictive ability, is that the right way to say it? The predictive abilities in the National Weather Service are pretty astounding. Um, I, obviously, this is a uh, softball question, and but answer it truthfully. Is the National Weather Service, the American National Weather Service, the best weather service in the world, um, or like do the Scandinavians do it better? They do they do some things a lot better than we do, and I assume we're better than the Russians, but I don't know that. So since we'll, we're talking hurricanes today, when it comes to hurricane forecasting, we are second to none in okay. the USA. And you can actually look at the statistics that compare models and model blends and, you know, all kinds of other agencies out there in the world that forecast these things. And we are still number one in track forecasting by a pretty good, a pretty good distance. I mean, our expertise is, is really incredible on that. And that's why we reduced the forecast cone, the era of uncertainty in these, Mm -hmm. in these cyclones every year we we reduce it a bit more because the five-year average the five-year error averages are going down and so the cone of, of track uncertainty gets lower and lower and that's because of our expertise again combined with all the models we run so it's the human that looks at all the data and says this is our best uh, forecast based on what we're seeing and what we know from our experience and it beats the models every time and continues to do so which is a pretty impressive mm-hmm. thing so when people say, well, the Euro model is better than the, the U.S. global model versus the United Kingdom's U.K. net model, it's not about the models. It's about the humans interpreting the models. And like um, I said, the USA is second to none. Well, I was told one time that you take an old farmer, whatever old, old farmer, and he's, he's a good predictor of the weather. Um, and I kind of believe that, actually, um, whether they get down to the granular level like you guys do. Uh, do we have any more time, Joe? One minute. Uh, when you went into meteorology, did you know it was going to be so math-intensive? And I bet you aced statistics. This is an interesting question, Davis. I, <laughs> when I was a kid, I was really geeked out about it. Then I went through my puberty stage and kind of lost some interest, but went back to university and finished up. And the answer is yes. I was a real math geek when I was a kid, and I had to become a math geek again in college. The other important part is physical science. And when I applied that to the you know, machinations of the atmosphere, I really hooked it all together and felt good about myself coming out of school. And yes, um, although I didn't get an official minor in statistics, I took a lot of statistical courses. So uh, you kind of pegged that one down too. So that was uh, a high level of interest for me as well when I was in university. All right, Barry, thank you for making your, thank you for talking to us. Thank you for preparing us and you know, whether we get hit five times or no times, you still got to go out and get all that storm preparation stuff. And now is the time because once something pops up in the Gulf, oh, man, getting it, getting it to the grocery store, the hardware store is tough. You're listening to 956 Drive Home on 710KORV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com.
Hey, as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Davis. Uh, Dr. James Castillo is the medical director in Cameron County. He has been with us a lot since coronavirus decided to visit us. Um, not so much lately because coronavirus has kind of gone away a little bit, but we want to talk now about about going, I guess it's going to Mexico, Dr. Castillo, to have a surgical procedure. I don't know how wide you want to make this, but uh, tell, tell us what happened and how you got involved. There's been an outbreak of fungal meningitis, uh, which is, you know, a, a very, very rare condition. Uh, so seeing even a few of these pop up is unusual, but seeing, you know, a string of them is, is exceptionally, means something's exceptionally wrong. And it was traced back to uh, people who underwent um, a, a cosmetic uh, surgery in Matamoros at a couple of clinics there and who received a epidural uh, block for the anesthesia. Yeah. Uh, usually it was a liposuction. And um, it seems that the suspicion is that inside of the medicine that gets injected for the anesthetic uh, was, a, was the fungus. So it was probably contaminated and it caused this meningitis. Um. I'm going to pitch you the softball. So you can't trust those Mexican doctors or Mexican medical uh, locations because they just can't keep it clean? Is that what you're saying? No. No, this has happened in the United States before. Uh, there was an outbreak about, uh, you know, six, seven, eight years ago, uh, multiple states in the U.S., and it was went back to um, uh, a pharmacy that was mixing up uh, the medication in, in dirty condition. Uh, contaminated with a fungus and it was getting injected to pe- into people across the country, across the U.S. Now, the FDA after that traced it back and cracked down on it and, you know, is trying to prevent it from happening again. But, you know, you're going to have these contaminations in the supply line. Uh, right now in Mexico, the travel advisory is because they don't know what the deal is. They don't know exactly what's going on. And so the CDC issued an advisory saying, hey, if you're planning on elective cosmetic surgery, you know, in Matamoros, that right now is not the right time to do that because there's still not a full understanding of what's happening. And definitely trying to reach out to people who had the surgery. I'm surprised, personal privilege, I guess, I'm surprised anybody would go over there after those poor souls were attacked um, some weeks ago, that, that, that the cartel violence is just, it, it's too much and indiscriminate. But obviously I'm wrong. So Yeah, well, medical tourism in general, I mean, you're you know, you're, you're getting a discount, but there's making a trade-off uh, in terms of uh, safety in general. Uh, so looking at the travel advisories from uh, the CDC, from the State Department, you know, when it comes to violence, yeah. uh, you, know, t- you know, taking, you know, you're taking a risk and it's really that balance between, you know, uh, saving money or, or wanting to get something done uh, and, and, the, and your safety. What the, the, uh, <clears throat> What the, what were they injecting? And they injected in the spinal column or the spinal fluid. Is that 
Do I have this right? right? You know, like an epidural. So when, you know, uh, the epidurals are, you know, most people know about it if uh, used as an anesthetic during childbirth, you know, yeah. just to block out that sensation, you know, from the waist down. Uh, so this was part of the anesthesia. All the people who got the infection, all of them had an epidural. So it wasn't it wasn't about any of the surgical equipment or anything like that. Um, you know, and when it's the epidural, it's usually going to be the medicine that got injected. Um, and there was a similar outbreak in Mexico a couple of years ago um, in Durango, Mexico. Uh, that time was like 800 people exposed and with the same kind of fungus. And so, mm. you know, they just got some tests back on this, uh, these patients and it's coming back with a really rare fungus called Fusarium solani. And uh, it looks like the same kind of fungus that was in that outbreak. So, you know, the Mexican authorities are investigating that. Um, don't know exactly what, you know, what the results are going to come down to. Uh, but right now the point is if, if a person had this epidural anesthetic at one of those two clinics in Matamoros from January till mid-May, uh, that you're at risk for this infection. And we're strongly advising to get a lumbar puncture to test the spinal oh, fluid and see if we can find the infection in there. Yeah. Because the earlier we start treatment, the, the better the chance of making it through it because this infection has about a 45% mortality rate. Good Lord. Uh, when, when the syringe is filled, I'm assuming this is a clear liquid, but I don't know that. When, when the syringe is filled, can you see the fungus in it? Absolutely not. Everything's going to look just fine. These are microscopic. They don't grow uh, very well in general. But if it's in there and it has like the spores in there, um, imagine like the seeds of it. Um, you can't see it. You don't know what's going on. You don't even know how it got contaminated. Um, but once it gets injected into that space, you don't have an immune system in there able to protect uh -oh. you. Uh, it, you know, nothing should be getting in there. And we do that for medical reasons. You know, we put medicines in there for medical reasons, but that's not natural. And so you're always taking this risk that something can go wrong. Um, hmm. Uh, what does fungus do? I mean, we, we all, am I right saying we all have fungus sure. in us all the time? The fungus among us. No, it, uh, we have it living on our skin and everything. Uh, you know, athlete's foot caused by a fungus. You get these skin rashes caused by a fungus. Um, but you, you really, you know, should not have any sort of uh, infections in, in those sensitive body fluids, right? Uh, that should be totally sterile. And when you get, an in, when you get stuff in there, you, you start getting a whole bunch of problems. So in this case, fungus, the sneaky thing about it is it grows super slow. So you can have this and it can just sneak up on you after a few weeks. And that's, again, why we're advising people, hey, you might feel okay now, but let's check to see if we see signs of an early infection. And certainly if you were having headache, fever, neck pain, blurred vision, uh, you know, nausea, vomiting, then, you, you, you know, there, there's a major problem. And you need to tell your doctor that you had this done to you at one yeah. of these clinics because that'll, it totally changes how we treat this. Uh, you don't normally treat meningitis for fungus. Normally, it's a bacteria, and in this case, antibacterial anti um, uh, antibiotics don't work. You have to use antifungals. What, what's a, I have a question. What's a what is fungal meningitis? Is that right? What are the symptoms? Yeah. And what's the treatment? So the the symptoms are kind of slow progression of uh, headache. This this headache that just won't go away, getting worse and worse. Uh, then it can you know, progress into neck stiffness, vision problems, loss of appetite, fevers, and then death. Um, 
And so by the time it gets full blown, though, it's it's been causing you problems for a while. And uh, unfortunately, it also looks like this particular fungus is leading to brain aneurysms. Good Lord. And it's doing damage to the blood vessels in the brain, causing hemorrhaging into the brain. So we're, you know, in, in the Mexico outbreak, uh, that I think the mortality was 45%. And hopefully, now that we know what's going on and we have, the, you know, more advanced, uh, especially the neurotechnology, the neurovascular technology here, yeah. hopefully we can make a difference for these patients. Uh, bu- 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 bu. Uh, you know, we I've I've have friends who get their dental work. I know people. I guess we all know people who go to Mexico because it's less expensive uh, to, sure. to see a physician. Uh, but I know people who go to dentists. Typically, I guess in uh, yeah. uh, Nuevo Progreso, is there's a is this the same risk there? Uh, you know, I've never seen. Um, I personally haven't seen that. I mean, I work in hospitals, so I don't know. I can't speak for other dentists locally and what they've seen. Um, you know, I've seen other complications of cosmetic surgeries um, that can be done anywhere, right? There's yeah. always this risk of infection at the surgical site. But I've never, in all my career, I've never seen somebody hospitalized with a dental complication from dental surgery done in Mexico. I haven't seen that. Uh, doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so this, in summary, since it's now four, almost four fifty, in summary is if you have some of these funky uh, symptoms, which will grow slowly, if I heard you right, which mm-hmm. which I yeah. I take to mean it kind of sneaks up on you. It's not like one day you wake up and you feel horrible, because that'll send you to the doctor typically. So you start feeling worse and worse and worse. Go to the doctor, call your doctor, yeah. tell her, tell whoever answers, this is my situation. I must see the doctor. I need to see the doctor. And and I guess. Um, Right. If you can't get in, because sometimes it takes a while, should they go to the emergency we're, room? We're, yeah, we're telling no, we're telling people to go to the emergency room. These tests cannot be done at a doctor's office; okay. they need to be done in a hospital. And so we're telling people to go to the emergency room, and we're trying to reach out to the emergency room, you know, providers there to let them know, hey, right. this is not your usual thing. You got to take a special. You don't normally have to do this, but in this case, you do. And if they have a question, to call the health department so we can clarify it. Dr. James Castillo, thank you very much. We greatly, very good. You did very well today, doctor. We really appreciate it. (laughs) You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news. On News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have a multiple In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Davis. You're listening to the 956 Drive Home here on 710 KURV. And of course, I, I had the here's the headline. Uh, Trump, former former president. Donald Trump criminal indictment is unsealed, shows he faces 37 charges, 37 counts in connection with keeping hundreds of classified documents in his possession after leaving the White House. The bulk of the charges in the 49-page indictment 
relate to willful retention of national defense information. I've got it, and I'm not going to give it back. Actually, it's a little more complicated. He was hiding stuff. That's a violation of the Espionage Act that pertains to, to whether individuals broke the rules for the handling of classified documents. And I think his goose was probably cooked. That's what the analysts are saying when he was caught uh, caught in a recording admitting that he had some top secret plans about attacking Iran that he shouldn't have and, and um, here to make sense out of this, if he can, is uh, Josh Blackman. He is a professor of law uh, and teaches constitutional law at the South Texas School of Law um, and in Houston. And if I say, it, well, what do you think? I'll just quit spluttering. What do you think, uh, Professor? Well, how do you look at this? What do you think about it? Well, it doesn't look too good for Trump. Um, the, the basis of the allegations is that he was completely reckless with how he stored documents that from the White House. And then he made false statements through his attorneys to the government, and oh. he sort of nudged his attorneys to either not tell the truth, or he'd nudge them to maybe not disclose the full truth. Nudge him, or ask him to, and, or just tell him to lie, or ask him to lie. Do you? Is it clear? You know, it's, I'm I'm choosing my words carefully. Trump yeah. is very sort of cagey how he speaks. We all yeah. know this. Yeah. But he sort of suggests, well, what if we tell them nothing? You know, what if we don't play ball with them? Like he kind of hinted what he wanted. Yeah. Uh, but we do know that that his lawyers made statements that, oh, here are all the documents. And it turns out that wasn't all of them. And it seems to be that Trump wasn't fully forthcoming with his own lawyers at how many documents are present. Um, now, a lot of discussions whether he declassified the documents. And frankly, that doesn't make a difference under the various laws uh, because these were documents that still had national security implications and he should have been handing them around, just letting people see them in cardboard boxes in his bathrooms. Uh, for, for those, uh, we're speaking with Josh Blackman, who teaches constitutional law at the South Texas School of Law in Houston. Uh, for those who say, this is a paperwork case. He didn't have the paperwork straight. All right, so he left and had some stuff. Shoot, they found stuff in Biden's garage, and they're not charging him with anything. What do you tell them? Well, I think there are two responses. First, um, after the documents were discovered at Biden's property, the uh, Biden people opened everything up. They consented to searches. They provide full disclosures. Whereas Trump tried to drag it out, maybe frustrate the investigation and the like. Also, these seem that with Biden, the documents were sort of taken away, perhaps inadvertently or accidentally. With Trump, it seems to be a conscious effort to take specific classified yeah. documents out. And I think, you know, maybe people feel good to compare the two incidents, but they're really quite different. Let's see. I. Um I have uh, I have so many windows open. Um, this is from the this is from a Washington Post article, so it's going to be s- scoffed at by some. The fallout from the historic first indictment of a former president, right? There's never been a former president indicted that I'm aware of. Um, Mushroom Friday with new public revelations of Donald Trump's alleged self-incriminating statements. Two of his top lawyers departing, and Trump saying one of his most loyal aides had also been charged in the classified documents case. Um, there was um, there was a recording that was made. I don't remember by who, or I don't know by who. And it, in it, Trump essentially admits, "Yeah, I got this. I got this stuff, and I shouldn't have it." And yep. I, I gather it was sort of like tee hee, but I haven't heard it, so I don't want to care. What what what's up with that? Right. I mean, 
a number of people came to Mar-a-Lago over time uh, to do interviews, and they recorded Trump speaking. And in one of the interviews, Trump said that, um, you know, here's this document of, a, of, a, of an attack plan of, on Iran. And I can't show you this, but here it is anyway. Don't get too close. And he's basically conceding that these documents were not to be classified, and he can't show them, but he did it anyway. He gave him he gave him copies from the, from the copier in the office. Um, so what is that as an attorney? How do you what does that say? How is that valuable to the government prosecuting? Him? Well, Trump is a lawyer's worst friend because he's making statements that incriminate him. And I think here he did it many times. Uh, I, I think it's very likely they get a conviction here, um, at least in some of the charges. And jail time is not out of the question. Um, maybe, maybe just probation, but he probably will be convicted. And it, 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 he made his own situation so much worse. If he just turned over all the documents right away, he would not have been indicted. But the fact this went on and on with boxes in the bathroom and, and like that, that's really what I think it did him in. So I want to make sure I've got this right. It's, of course, we don't know what would happen if he had been found with a bunch of stuff that oops accidentally took or okay you can have them back kind of thing i don't think i don't think he would indicted it's the attempt to not disclose the documents that will get him in trouble yeah. does the apparent fact that he jacked he jacked around the national archives people because this started the the hunt for the record started a long time ago the archives people are in charge of getting all that stuff and doing whatever they do with it um and uh, the fact that this has been going on for a long time and they went back and forth his lawyers and whoever up in Washington went back and forth and back and forth on where the records are and yeah we've given them all to you well no you haven't um, does that well, yeah I mean the difficulty is Trump's lawyer certified that these were all the documents he had because that's what Trump told them it seems that Trump and one of his body men was basically keeping information from Trump's own lawyers so, I mean, it, it, a lot of false information was submitted to the government, and that, that, I think, is what will eventually be the easiest to convict on. Do the attorneys who passed along the wrong information, do they get in trouble? They could, but they'll probably just fall, fall on their sword, or let, let, not fall on their sword, they'll probably blame the boss and say, he, he told us this and we relied on him. But they also may face some problems as well. Well... They're not responsible for him lying. Would they be responsible? Well, it, yeah, the, the role of an attorney is kind of tricky, where if your client tells you something and it turns out the client was lying to you, did you have a duty to perhaps investigate further and check if your client was lying? Oh. In other words, what, what, what did you do to determine if you were making an accurate statement? You can't just, you can't just rely on your client if he's, if he's dishonest, if he's, if he's lying to you. Um, it depends on what efforts you have to verify that statement. That's... Um I didn't realize. Well, I guess I should have. We should have realized lawyers. That's a tough we're not job. To lie. That's a job. You know, we're not supposed. <laughs> and you're not supposed to countenance lying or look the other way if you no. think something's funny with what your client's telling we're you. We're not supposed to. No, we have some duty to make sure our client's being truthful. Uh, and if he's not being truthful, we, we we can take care of it or withdraw from the case because we can't put false statements to the government. And how many people have? How many lawyers have worked for Mr. Trump who have? Quit him. Got to jail. Yeah, a bunch of them. Wow. So if they called you and said you want to be part you know, of the defense, I, 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 go ahead. No, I. There's a joke that MAGA, MAGA, essentially make attorneys get attorneys. 
<laughs> you see, I haven't told a single lawyer joke uh, this afternoon because um, you're welcome. But <laughs> I gotta say, I'm completely shut down. And uh, but thank you for thank you for being with us and giving us some perspective. I really appreciate it, and and uh, it's very helpful to to me and to the listeners. Thank you very much, Professor Josh Blackman. South Texas School of Law. You are listening to the 956 Drive Home here on 710KORV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day. And special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. We're letting you enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Davis. The Supreme Court has says here, the Supreme Court has ruled in favor of black voters in Alabama in a redistricting case. And they ruled in favor of Black voters who had brought a congressional redistricting case, it says here it was five to four, and they, I guess, essentially said we got we we was robbed. They um, they they discriminate. I guess it was a matter of discrimination. They had an opportunity to do something, they didn't take it, and they marginalized us at the polls. Uh, the court found a likely violation of the Voting Rights Act in an Alabama congressional map. With one majority black seat out of seven districts in the state where more than one in four residents is black. With the ruling, new maps can be drawn, which would allow Democrat leaning black voters to elect their preferred candidates in two more congressional districts. So let's let's assume they they have to go back and draw two more districts and then it's going to go up the ladder for uh, for approval. And I don't know what the Republican majority is in Congress. But it's going to be two less by the time they get done. Um, here to talk about it with us, talk about it with me anyway, is uh, Professor Alvaro Corral. He is from McAllen. He's teaching at the University of Texas RGV. Uh, teaches political science, and we welcome him to the talk show. This is his inaugural appearance, one of many to come, I'm sure, Professor. What uh, this has been an issue in Texas because. The, the shorthand version would be the instant version would be the last time they redistricted at the legislature republicans in control they use their their power their authority to marginalize um to marginalize the districts to to lessen the districts which would go democrat probably and the biggest jump in population were uh, spanish surname people i'm sure they're all mexican-american and they got they got they should have had a couple more districts. Now I'm telling you what people have said. What what Texas has done apparently has been legal until this ruling. What do you think about all this? Well, um, we can kind of go over a little bit about like you know what the facts of the case were in terms of the Alabama. 
case and how this may apply here, because I think there are some parallels. I mean, um, for example, um, you know, the black population of the state of Alabama is currently about 27 to 28 percent. Yeah. And 27 to 28 percent would translate to exactly two out of seven seats that would translate. So they would be somewhat more proportional. Right. And so there is something in the background here that is that, you know, states like Alabama and Mississippi, what we call more racially polarized than even the sort of voting that goes on here in Texas. Right. Because, you know, yeah. some <clears throat> a not insignificant portion of the of the Latino Hispanic population votes for Republicans. Right. And so. Um, are you saying that black-white relations in the Deep South are not hunky-dory, rosy? That's that's sneering on my part. You're right. There's still not cool over there. Go ahead. Yeah, that's right. And so, so um, you know, I, I think what what um, civil rights groups in Alabama said was that, like, hey, we they actually presented maps that that convinced a, a federal judge panel. Um, that said, you know, we have alternative set of maps that that um, would make kind of prettier districts you know how districts can be somewhat ugly right um which are typically somewhat suggestions of like either packing or cracking people (laughs) playing games to separate communities right so we tend to think that if we have neater somewhat more let's call them square um uh shapes that's typically indicative of like you know somewhat fairer maps right and so these uh civil rights groups in alabama managed to produce alternative maps that would give them uh, these two uh, opportunity uh, black opportunity districts, right? And so, applying that to Texas, right? So the Texas population is currently forty percent Latino Hispanic, um, and so and, and as you kind of uh, intimated there, right? Like you know, in the last ten years, uh, not just Latinos Hispanics, right, but pe- just non whites, like people of color, have, a, have attributed to ninety five percent of the state's. Uh, growth in terms of population and just like one 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 census right and so hang on for one second groups are saying yes no no no, i'm sorry i'm cutting you off go ahead go ahead and so civil rights groups are are saying as they typically do after lots of rounds of redistricting right is that um you know where where is the sort of proportional growth right you know the, the numbers sort of don't necessarily lie right and so if there isn't especially in certain parts of the state that are witnessing some of this growth, right, and diversification, typically not the valley, right? We're talking about places like, you know, there are specific examples from Fort Bend County, Colleen oh, yeah. County, right? Uh, breaking, uh, you know, emergent Asian populations and black and Latino Asian, uh, black and Latino populations into, to dilute their vote, right? And so they're making um, they're the case here that this may be going on as well. So I think there is a bit of a parallel in, in a few specific places throughout the state, um, that they may have some some standing to move forward legally. Professor Alvaro Corral uh, teaches political science at and other things at the University of Texas RGV. He's a McAllen native, um, and he got his degrees from the University of Texas uh, in Austin. Uh, I guess before it went crazy. Uh, if if we're drawing districts, you and I and. We cannot draw districts because we're going to put all the Mexicans over here and we're going to put all the black people over there. You can't do that. I mean, you can't harm people because of their race or ethnicity. But you can harm people, as I understand, because they vote Democrat or Republican or something else. But black people vote overwhelmingly Democrats. So if you screw them because they're Democrats, you're also screwing them or it would be a argue you're screaming because they're black yeah and and you know that that's what makes um these uh these these these, these court cases so um difficult really i mean you're, you're touching on something there right which is that 
Um, the court typically allows what are called partisan gerrymanders. Those are perfectly legal. Um, but where it, where state legislatures can get into trouble, right, is that, um, you know, if there's a, a case to be made, right, mm-hmm. that, that, that there is, you know, sufficient evidence to suggest that, you know, something funny is going on here, right? Like a, it doesn't pass the smell test, right? That like you could have obviously drawn a district to look, you know, neater and more compact, that keeps these natural communities together, but you chose to, you know, extend the, the, the district in this funny way to pick up other white voters to make the state, to, to make that, that district, um, you know, include yeah. sufficient amount of white voters to, to block the, the minority preferred candidate. Well, then, you know, that's where you run afoul of things, right? And so it, it's actually somewhat difficult to, to kind of show that that is occurring, right? And that's why typically civil rights groups wage very specific things, right? There's a case, for example, about, you know, uh, in Galveston, the city, the, the, the court, the, the, the mm-hmm. county commissioner's court, right? Because of the, the evidence there just seems so strong, right? So that there really are specific things. So even the one we hear challenges around the Texas maps, it's typically means that like, there's typically one, two, uh, or three specific localities that because they get violated, the whole maps need to be redrawn, right? Uh, let me ask you about two hobby horse districts of mine. One is the one that uh, that Oscar. Now I talked myself into a corner. Uh, Oscar Longoria. Longoria. Thank you very much. Uh, lawyer, uh, part of the leadership team up in uh, the, up in the legislature, Texas House. He, he's a mm-hmm. Democrat and mm-hmm. probably a liberal Democrat because they because they all are down here. And um, but his district goes from El. From from the west side of Hidalgo County to the outskirts of Brownsville, it's a it's a horseshoe. This is the I think the second decade they've drawn a district like that, and it's a you know not, I like Austin, so it's, this is not aimed at him. But that's a profanity. It's horrible. The expense, the uh, wear and tear on the on the candidate is just awful. And why they did it, I I don't know. And then number fifteen, where Kika used to Kika de la Garza used to represent and now it's uh monica that thing goes all the way up to san antonio um that's i don't think that's right either but nobody asked me what do you think could we get different districts and still still meet the law i i i think so right i mean like there's it's a it's a really complicated process in terms of drawing this stuff right i mean they they use all the fancy computers that uh that to 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 uh, oh, yeah. to to draw this stuff, but it is it is it's kind of difficult, right? Because we have these population anchors in the valley, right? Um, and then I think people would also be uh, upset, right? I mean, w- which way do you got to go? You can only go north, right? Um, and so we have like these kind of really essentially urban areas, right? Uh, in a very compact place that we we can and we also can't agree to have for example people in the valley would be very upset if they only had two congressional districts as opposed to three right and yeah. so the moment you 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 say that okay well what do you do right so it's 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 funny because it's like populations right and density regardless of people's race and then you take people's race ethnicity in the background there's there's just so many variables um to to take into account uh, and so it's 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 a very difficult process and one that I'm glad I don't have to do. Although that's the case, that, you know, that that brings up another point, right? You know, should we calls into question? Should we even be having legislatures doing this, right? I mean, there's a, a movement in other states to say um, let's empower uh, nonpartisan commissions of experts and professionals um, to draw mm-hmm. maps, 
right? Um, so that way, it's not. Uh, we we think that voters choose uh, their 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 uh, representatives, but in really, as we know, every ten years, the representatives choose their voters, right? And so, is there a, a third way to go about this, perhaps? Do you think people can? Their decisions have to be made in their value judgments. Do you think that a nonpartisan? Um, and, and there are people who believe when when you. You, they're really not nonpartisan. They are nonpartisan, leaning Democrat or they lean Republican. But really, on the fence, go either way. That's really rare. I don't know what you think. Well, I mean, I think that there's there's a way to go about it in the sense that, like, you know, hey, you know, when you work here, this is our shared goals. You set up rules to the commission, right, the way you would any other sort mm-hmm. of entity, right? Um, and you know, you set it up and you see how it goes. There's plenty of other states do a minority of states but you know more than a handful i would say i don't have the numbers in front of me so yeah. you know we could look at what they're doing and look to see if we could institute that and if we don't like it we could always go back right i mean but if if it is really such a hassle and if people are so fed up with it well you know there's other things we could do is it um you're you're not an attorney i don't think um I'm but, not but using the logic this was the decision from this is for the listeners because I think I, I think I told you about this. Um, this is a decision. Um, this is the this is the law. This is the ruling theory or thinking or way to do redistricting or re- better ways not to do redistricting. So the people in Texas who think they got robbed, they got screwed over. Take th- could take that theory and I guess go into federal court. I've not run this by a lawyer go into federal court and say, look, uh, we want to reopen this. And pause for a second. You can't reopen redistricting in the middle of the decade. Well, yeah, you can. And the Republicans did it, what, 15, 20 years ago? Um, they mm-hmm. did it, uh, and they got um, – so I would expect that yeah. to happen. If I, if I was on the other side of the way I think, I'd go back in because it looks like you'll win. What do you think? I mean, p- potentially. I mean, I, I don't think it's it's that easy in the sense that, like, you know, if if, if you go through the, the 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 I think I think Roberts wrote the the majority decision. Yes. Um, but in it, he talks about this Gingles test from 1982, right? But like, when the court is looking at is this a Section Two violation or not, they look at three things: is it large? Is the is the community in question large? Sufficiently large, sufficiently compact, and this question of you know white white voters um, blocking through their votes the minority preferred candidate right so it's a it's a three-pronged test and if and if you can show that that is the case right um in a specific area well then you know the the onus is on the onus is on is on those lawyers right to show that and if they can show that well that's the current interpretation that the majority of the supreme court thinks is valid and if you can you know satisfy the the what's called the gingles test before the supreme court well i mean that that's that's what it is maybe you should be a lawyer Maybe you should go back to law school. You you know all this. Um, I actually know a few people who are sort of. I noticed from the stuff you've published, you you look like you may have a passing understanding or passing relationship with some uh, what, what civil rights folks. So you make your calls mm-hmm. and I'll make mine. We'll we'll see what they have up their sleeve. They got to get funding yeah, for and, it. And go ahead. No. Yeah, no, and it's difficult because you brought up this point about like reopening the stuff, and and it, this is what what happens is that it gets kind of frustrating for frankly all parties, right? Because you know the the legal process typically moves so slowly, but then our elections move every two years, right? And so 
and and then and then the courts say, well, you know, we can't upend the maps now because we have uh, an election in just you know a couple months from now, and that's unfair to voters. And so it's like, okay, well, we got to mm-hmm. wait to refile, you know, the, the day after election day, right? And so we're in this kind of, yeah. you know, what I'm saying we're, we're in the the, 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 cal- the calendars don't really meet up, right? And so it creates yeah. a lot of um, confusion for voters and and for you know frustration for candidates, right? And so it, it, it's it's a suboptimal situation arrangement that we're in. Uh, Professor Corral, I've got to go. Uh, I've got to I've got to sure. leave you because we got to get get on because the clock on the wall says so. But thank you very much. You you did a, you did a great job. And um, we appreciate it, and we'll have you back. Alvaro, Alvaro Corral teaches political science, University of Texas RGV. You're listening to the 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.